Christ gives us the example prayer or the model prayer. Uh, when he gives us the example on how to pray, it's one of the only uh, real how-to sermons that maybe you'll hear from me. Uh, it, it also is, you need to know this morning, that, uh, that I usually just have one point, but this morning we're going to have six. So most of that is because next week is Disciple Now and, and Zach is preaching, so I want to preach two sermons uh, in one here this morning. So I'm going to give you six points, and I'm going to breeze through them real quickly, and then you're going to spend this week thinking about them as you study uh, on your own and you hear the Word spoken um, through through the Word as you read it and learn it. So here we have uh, Christ uh, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, this really center point, this point where, where he really focuses on, focuses upon uh, the reason why he's preaching the sermon or the reason why he wants followers to follow him. He's really pointing towards the direction of what our, our lives should be centered upon or what our lives should be centered around. What is it that we should be living for, living about and so we we come to this point where he gives us this example prayer. If you remember from the past two weeks, if you've been here, if you've listened at all, uh, you'll remember that uh, in Jewish culture they had three things that really determined how religious they were or how religious they they are. Uh, the things were giving, the things are praying, and the things are fasting. You prove how religious you are by the by how well you do those things, how, how, by how well you give, by how well you pray, and by how well you fast. And then you try, you try and as a religious rock star or a Pharisee or a hypocrite, you try and prove those and show those to the rest of the world. Uh, look at how great I am. Do you hear that statement? I mean, do you still hear that in our world today, though you may not be Jewish or you may not be some religious rock star that you're trying to be, but do you still hear yourself or others trying to convince you of how great they are? Look at how great I am. Well, the whole purpose of prayer and the whole purpose of giving and the whole purpose of fasting in accordance to God and His kingdom is not to show how great you are, but is to really show how great the I am is, to show how great God is. That's what this whole kingdom is about. That's what this whole following Jesus is about. That's why we call Him Lord. That's why we call Him Master. That's why we call Him Savior. That's why we call Him God, because He is. He is God over all things. That's when we say He's the King of His of His kingdom. You can try and be the king of your kingdom or queen of your kingdom if you so desire to call yourself that, but you won't get very far. Your kingdom will not be extended very far. Though you may leave a great legacy upon this earth and we may uh, praise you for a moment, your reward will only be momentary. And so Christ as God comes to this earth and he fulfills something and he redeems us and then he sets us uh, this kingdom that we get to live for, be a part of. He, he makes us an inherit, it gives us an inheritance, adopts us as uh, sons and daughters into his kingdom through through his blood. And then he gives us this roadmap on how to live this path, how to go about this journey how to uh, be, become these or uh, these people who are living this sanctified life, this life being transformed into Jesus, what it looks like. Well, let me show you how to give. Let me show you how to pray. Let me show you how to fast. Let me show you how to treat your enemies. Let me show you how to treat those who persecute you. Let me show you what it means to be blessed. Let me show you what it means to hunger and thirst for things that are, are truly worth hungering and thirsting for. 
And so we approach this prayer stuff as really important. We approach it um, because Christ sets us an example. He, he wants to bring us back into what prayer should actually be about. I mean, how many times have you been a part of something that has been watered down, or like we talked about two weeks ago, is a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, and we really don't know what 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 the truth is, or why we are doing certain things. I remember several years ago in ministry uh, asking the church and asking particularly this youth group, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Well, because we're doing this because so-and-so started it and he was a great youth minister and so we, we continue doing that. Well, that's great. Do, do we have to continue doing it? Of course we do. Why do we have to continue doing that? Well, be, because he started it. He being who? Well, it wasn't Jesus. Jesus didn't necessarily start it, but one of these great youth ministers of the past started it, and so we continued on with the tradition. But we had no idea of why we were why we were doing that. At a principal, a vice principal in high school, Mr. Woods, he would yell at us all the time, "Get off my tables! Get off my tables! Quit sitting on my tables! Those are my tables. They don't belong to you. Get off of them! Get off my tables! Get off my tables!" Mr. Wood, are those really your tables? Well, sure they are. Mr. Wood, did you did you buy those tables? Well, no, I didn't buy them, but they're my tables. Get off of them. They belong to me. Well, how how do you how do you suppose that? I don't understand what what made you decide that those tables belong to you. At somewhere along the road, even as a believer, something happens in us. Something begins to grab our heart, and we begin to be tempted or lured away from what is the truth. We become persuaded to live for something that does not belong to us or live to something, live for something that's not worth actually living for. And we begin building our own kingdom and praying our own prayers and living for the things that we think are, are most worthy of living for. And so Christ comes and he says, let me show you. If you're going to be my people, if you're going to call me Lord, and I'm going to be your Savior and I'm going to redeem you from your sin, then let me show you how to live. Let me show you how to give. Let me show you how to pray. So we get to this example prayer. And within this example prayer, in verses 9 through 15, there's really two major themes within the prayer that Jesus talks about. And you, you, a lot of you here, have heard this a number of times. And I thought about it this morning. There are a number of you in this room that, that know everything. You know most everything. You point it out to me often, how much you know. And so I, I'm aware of that. I know that you know most things. So I'm not trying to uh, make fun of you or, or make you think that I don't know that you're educated. I know that you know these things. But I've still felt through God's prompting that we should still talk about prayer. So there's these two major themes within the, the example prayer or the model prayer. Uh, the first theme is God. And the second theme is man. But we have to understand, like we talked about last week, when we approach God, we approach Him with humility because we understand who He is and who we are not. That's the first part of repentance. Understanding who God is and who you or who I am not. That's key into living a Christ-filled or Christ-centered life. Understanding who God is. When we begin to understand who he is, or begin uh, praying to him 
because of who he actually is, our prayer life changes, our giving life changes, our fasting life changes, our forgiving life changes, our mercy-filled life changes. Um, The reason why we live completely, it all changes because we understand who God is. And so when Christ begins this model prayer, this example prayer, he begins with focusing focusing upon who God is. And he brings up these three points. Because prayer primarily should be about God. But acknowledging that we are not God and that He is, and so because of that, we acknowledge Him first. Prayer really is acknowledging that you and I are in need. We are broken. And only someone who is perfect, and only someone who needs nothing, can help us. Have you been in that moment before where you're really wanting to help someone, and they ask you, and your your heart is just... Uh, you're, you're pouring your heart out and, and you, you're really you're just gripped by the situation and you really want to help. Oh, I'm just, I feel so bad. I feel so terrible for this situation. And I want to help you so bad. But you need to understand something. I, I can't help you because I'm in desperate need my, myself. And you want to help so bad, but you're just not at the place. Like our world tells us, you're not at the place to help at the moment. I'm in no, I'm in no place to help you at the moment. So prayer... When we approach God, we're acknowledging the fact that we are in need, that we are broken, and that we're in need of someone who is perfect and doesn't need a thing to help us. And so because there's only one person, there's only one thing, there's only one being that's that's capable of that, we pray to God. And so Christ tells us, he says this, uh, if you're going to be a part of my kingdom, if you're going to be followers of me, if you're going to call me Lord, then this is how you will pray. Verse 9 says this, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So Christ begins with this statement. He begins with prayer acknowledges who God is. It acknowledges where he is. It acknowledges his name. First point, out of all these six points is prayer is about his name, about our holy God who is perfect, who is pure, who, is, who has been sanctified, who has made himself holy, who has set himself apart from the rest of the world. Christ points out, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And this is important for us. He's pointing out something really significant about the name of God. Number one, he allows us to call him Father. He allows us to call him Father. John twenty seventeen says this, And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Christ does something incredible for us. We no longer have to come with these huge words and these huge names and, and, and come to the, to the, to God as this sovereign, unexplainable, indescribable God and, and, and come up with a list, like we talked about last week, of these phrases that we think are great, but really are just empty. And the volume, both loud and the capacity, we approach God that way thinking that if we, if He hears us, and how we can describe him, then maybe he'll answer our prayers. But Christ makes it available for us where we can call God Father. I mean, in a Jewish culture where you're all about names and labels and describing God perfectly, Christ comes and says, Our Father. Our Father. Unfortunately, we don't have great examples 
of fatherhood anymore. Or maybe we never did. There are some, a few people, a few men who we can say, that guy has, has been a great father. That, that guy has been a great dad. And so in our world today, sometimes we get mixed up. Sometimes we don't even want to call God dad or father because of the example we've had here on earth. God gives us the perfect example. He shows us what sacrificial love is. He shows us what it means to be a forgiving father, a merciful father, a graceful father, a slow-to-anger father, a father that's abounding in love. He shows us all these things, and Christ points out, when you pray as a follower of mine, when you pray as one who has been saved, you're praying and you're approaching God as father. He, he could have said any other label. He could have given us sovereign king or something like that, but instead he gives us the name Father. He's, he, he gives us his name as Father. And this is significant. Remember from the Old Testament? Remember all those moments when, when, when we couldn't approach God? Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Don't touch the Ark of the Covenant. If you do, you'll, you'll die. Sin has separated you in the garden where I wanted to be in right relationship with you, but sin has separated you. And now Jesus comes in and says, as followers of mine, as, one, as ones who have been redeemed, you get to approach God as Father. And this is huge. First John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us? that we should be called children of God. And so we are. This is really important for us to recognize that because of Christ, we can call God our Father. We can approach Him. There's a movie called The Sandlot. Maybe you've seen it. And uh, it's a little boy who's being raised by his mom and his stepdad, and he doesn't really know what to call his stepdad. Uh, 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 Bill, I mean, uh, uh, Dad, I mean, uh, uh, Bill, he just doesn't know what to call him. He's confused. I don't really know what to call you, Bill. I mean, you're Bill, but you're also my stepdad. But do I call you father? Do I call you dad? I'm not even sure what to call you. And in this moment, as followers of Jesus, there should be no confusion. If Christ has died, and if he has risen, and if he has saved you from your sin and forgiven those, and you've confessed him as Lord, then you can call God Father. But you cannot forget where our Father is. He is in heaven. We cannot forget this. Our Father who is in heaven. Once you forget that, once you forget where your Father is, then you, then your uh, reverence to Him or your fear of Him or your love for Him could be minimized. Remember, we're about maximizing our King. So we constantly have to remind ourselves where God is, seated on His throne in control of all things prompting us, encouraging us, comforting us in the moments that we need him most, in the moments when we don't even think that we need him, God is there. We cannot forget, we cannot forget those, those things. He goes on to say, and I messed up on my notes here, I'm going to have to switch him over here. He goes on to say this, hallowed be your name. When we just sang from Revelation chapter, chapter 4 and, and chapter 5, we, we just sang about these four creatures who are surrounding the throne of God in heaven, and they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. See, there's nothing else. There is no one else that is holy. There is no one else that is pure. There is no one else that is righteous. And Christ reminds us of that. When we approach God in prayer, we can, yes, we can call Him Father. We remember where He is. 
And we remember that he is holy, that his name is holy. And when we remember that, we treat him with reverence and respect. We have to have a holy redeemer. We have to have a perfect being who who can come and save us. We cannot do it on our own. We have to have perfection. We have to have a holy savior. And so because of that, when we approach God, we remind ourselves that he is holy. He is our holy father who is in heaven. Years ago in student ministry, some students were praying and they were making some jokes like many of us had. My dad, just uh, just several years ago, if you've ever seen the movie White Christmas, my mom asked my dad to pray for the... Uh, for the for the meal for the uh, just the lunch meal after church and and he he quoted uh, one of the songs from White Christmas and Lord help the sister who comes between me and my mister and we we're like Dad you can't pray that you're you're dishonoring you're dishonoring God there's got to be some kind of reverence there so a few years ago I had some students that were making light of prayer and and joking about Cheerios and Frosted Flakes and whatnot and you know it's it's awesome that we can approach God students I, I commend you. You're right, we can, we can approach God. Because of what Christ has done, we can approach Him. I mean, the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4 and 5 that we can approach Him with boldness. We can stand upright and come into His presence. But do not forget who He is. Do not forget who He is. Do not forget what He's done, what He is doing, and what He's going to do. I mean, the one that you're approaching, the, the Holy Father who is in heaven that you're approaching, He created this world by His Word. He didn't have a a lot of work to do. It wasn't see how much muscle I have, see how much education I have, look at my infinite wisdom, but instead he spoke it and it happened. I mean, this is the God that you approach. This is the Father that you approach. This is the one that's in heaven that you approach. This is the Holy One that you approach. We come to God because he is holy, because he is perfect, and we are in need. We are broken and weak, and we are in need of God. So we approach him as our holy father who is in heaven. And then Christ goes on in the model prayer, and he gives us a second point. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He brings us to what we need to be about, his kingdom. I mean, primarily, again, the two major themes. The first theme in this, in this whole example prayer is God. It's God's name. It's God's kingdom and it's God's will. I mean, that's what we're to be about. When we, I mean, if you reflect upon your prayers right now, even the ones that you've said this morning, how often was it about your name, your kingdom, and your will? I mean, that's not the example prayer. That's not what Christ wants us to be about. He wants us to be about God and God's name, his holy name, and God and God's kingdom. I mean, think back to Matthew chapter 4. When Christ was being tempted by the tempter, by, he's being tempted by his adversary. He's being tempted by the one that wants to lead him astray. And what does he tempt him with? He tempts him with a kingdom. If you'll say it, if you'll agree to it, I'll give you every kingdom upon this earth. And of course, Christ denies that. Don't lure me into that. We all have that battle. Daily we wake up and say, okay, is today going to be about me and my kingdom? Or is today going to be about Christ and his kingdom? When we approach God as Holy Father in heaven, we recognize that it is not about our kingdom. You didn't die for your kingdom. Christ died for his kingdom, and you get to be a part of it. And so your life should be centered around God and his name and God and his kingdom. So you have to ask yourself, what is it that's luring me away? What is it that I want to live my life for? 
How much time do I consume every day trying to live for my kingdom instead of the kingdom instead of the kingdom of God? It's a trap that many people fall in. But Christ gives us this example of how to pray. He gives us this example of what to be about. You check your prayers. You say, do my prayers measure up to this model prayer? Does my heart measure up to what Christ is setting apart here? And if not, we ask God to help us, to change us. We repent of our ways. We follow Christ and His desire for our life and not our own life. The third part of the third point is about His will. He says, your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think about Christ living this out. I mean, He's being, he's being approached in, in the garden with this moment of, do I follow through in obedience to what God has set apart for me? And he prays this prayer in verse 39 of Matthew 26. He says, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And think about those times of trauma in your life, those times of stress in your, in your life, those times when, when you're really anxious about something. What are you really anxious about? Glorifying the Father? Following His will? Are you in your name, in your kingdom, in your will? It's a difficult task. It's why Christ left us the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Counselor, to live inside of us, to give us direction. It's why we have God's Word, to remind us so that we may remember who God is, what He's done, what He's doing, what He's going to do. So we have to be about the Lord's will and not our own will. You guys probably know, maybe you were one, maybe you are one. We have this uh, f- phrase that we uh, live by or we talk about a lot. We label people with this. We call people, uh, you know, uh, someone who's difficult to deal with, particularly children. Yeah, they're just a particularly difficult child to deal with. Well, why is that? Well, they're just strong-willed. They're just strong-willed, just a strong-willed child. So they're difficult to deal with. Well, I wonder how many of us could be labeled as a child of God who is a strong-willed child of God, who's living for their own will. Well, you can tell me, you can try and tell me what to do. I know most everything. You can try and tell me what to do, but Lord, you need to hear me out. Not your will be done, but my will be done. We get it all backwards. Satan tempts us. Our own desires tempt us. We're lured away to live for our own thing. And God looks down and says, ah, all these strong-willed children of mine, if they would only submit, if they would only be obedient to what I have desired for their life, they would see the path that I've set out before them. They'd recognize that they don't know anything and that they're in need of me. So Christ gives us this model prayer. And these first three points are all about God. If, if your prayers, when you begin them, are not about God, you're not starting off correctly. If your prayers are about your name, your kingdom, and your will, you should check to see who your Savior is. Because if it is about your name, and your kingdom, and your will, you're probably depending upon your own self to be your own Savior. And the outcome does not look good for you. The truth is Christ died for you and for his kingdom. The truth is Christ wants you to be about his will 
about his kingdom, about his name. He's the only one worthy of that. So you have to check yourself daily for this. And then Christ, thankfully, he recognizes us. He's not a high priest. He doesn't know how we suffer. He knows what temptation is like. He's been tempted in every way, yet remained perfect. He knows He knows us. And so he offers these last three things in his model prayer here. He says, the first theme of this prayer is all about God, and that is primary. But because you are human, and I know you, I'm going to offer you a secondary part to your prayer. And it's going to be about your daily food, it's going to be about your debts, and it's going to be about the devil and temptation. So we see that prayer really should be about God in his name, God in his kingdom, God in his will. But because we are human and we are broken, we have a Savior who knows our weaknesses, he points us to those things that we need daily. Most of the time in our world today, we live backwards. We begin prayer with, God, I need food. God, I have debts. God, I've been tempted. Christ gives us in his upside down, turned around world or his kingdom, he says, that is not what your life is going to be about anymore. Your life is going to be about God and his name, God and his kingdom, and God and his will. When Satan, again, when Satan tempted Christ in the desert, as Christ is fasting for 40 days, he tempts him with these things. He tempts him with food. He tempts him with forgiveness or, or sin, debts, and he tempts him with willingness or a kingdom mindset. He tempts him with all these things. Christ says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, our daily food. We have to be reminded that we do not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from God's mouth. We have to think about in our hunger every day, what is it that I'm actually hungry for? When will I be satisfied? Am I hunger? Am I Am I hungering for ridiculous things? Do I act in a ridiculous way? Is someone yelling at me, you're not being yourself, grab a Snickers, because we're acting ridiculous? And in that moment we say, what's, what's wrong with this situation? Why isn't my life being sustained? What is it that I need? God, I need you today to provide for those needs so that I'm not lured away into believing in some other God or worshiping some other idol or living my life for some other thing. I remember about 10 years ago having a conversation with a lady and uh, she said, I, I reached a point, kind of her testimony, her story is, I reached a point in my life where I, where I thought how ridiculous it is that when I wake up in the morning, my first thoughts are, what's for breakfast? What's for snack? What's for lunch? What's for supper? What's for snack? In that moment, I realized that is my God. Those things that my thoughts are most consumed with, that is my God. And I think it's interesting that Christ points out in his model prayer, give us this day our daily bread. This day. Not to worry about tomorrow, but focusing on, can I want to make the most of this day for you and your name and your kingdom and your will? So help me today just to rely upon you, not worried about what I will eat for breakfast or lunch or dinner or second breakfast or second lunch or second dinner, 
but instead that I might focus upon you and your will, trusting that in my brokenness and my weakness you will provide for every one of my needs. Second thing he says in this part about man, he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have been have forgiven our debtors. This morning, believer, Christian, follower of Jesus, one who's confessed Christ as Lord. And what I see in this is, if you've been forgiven, so you should forgive. Forgive us our debts as we also have been forgive, have forgiven our debtors. T- too many Christians that I know have been forgiven by this incredible Savior, yet hold on to so many debts others have done to them. So many believers that I know have been forgiven of their sins for eternity and have held on to that so tightly, yet so many people have wronged them. So many people have done things to them. Christ, thank you that you're, you're bold enough and powerful enough to forgive me of my sins. But let me tell you, if I was you, I wouldn't. Because these people, Christ gives us an example. It's not a way to live daily. You hold on to that daily, not let go of that daily. Your life will not be about God's name. It will not be about God's kingdom. And it will not be about God's will. Instead, it will be about your name, your kingdom, and your will. And the whole model prayer points back to God. He gives us the example. And that's a hard topic. I I know. It's hard. It's hard to forgive, I understand. Many people have done me wrong. Some of you said things this morning that, that if I was worldly, if I was full of sin, if I had not been changed by a Savior, I would hold on to that. And years from now, if I was in counseling, someone had to pry and dig it out of me. What's wrong with you? Well, John Bernard. Well, Brian. Who are they? I don't even remember them now, but they did something to me. I know. They had to have. Well, forgive them. Ah, are they really worthy of that? Christ in the garden didn't argue. God, are they worthy of this? He didn't argue. Are you sure? Are you sure they're going to be grateful? Are you sure they're going to respond in the way they should respond? Instead of Christ in the garden says, if there's another way, do it. But here's what I understand. It's not about my will. It's about your will. We we take that model. We take that example. We apply it to our prayer life. It's not my name, my will, my kingdom, but instead it is about Christ and Christ alone. Then he ends with this, such a huge such a huge statement. It's not the focal point, but help us to remember. Verse 13 says this, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We forget so often, and I think it's because of where we live. We, we feel safe. We, we feel comfortable. And so we, we forget about evil often. We forget about temptation until someone goes to a place. Oh, I went to Vegas, the one in New Mexico. Man, it's terrible. I went to Lorraine in Mitchell County, Texas. You know those people? Oh, they're terrible. I don't ever, don't send me there. Remember a few years ago, a friend of mine in ministry said, Lord, don't ever send me to Houston. I want to go serve in Houston. It's awful there. 
He's not in Houston. He's in Conroe. It's a suburb of Houston. He's getting close. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And First Peter tells us in chapter 5 that Satan, the devil, our adversary, is roaming around like a roaring lion. Not just to make his presence known, but it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, looking for someone to devour. Looking for someone to eat. Looking for someone to kill. Do you understand the battle that you're in? When you signed up and said, I want to follow Christ obediently, you said it is not about my will anymore. You said it's not about my kingdom anymore. You said it's not about my name anymore. And when you said that, you put a target on yourself. Satan is looking to devour someone. And Christ knows that. And he knows our weaknesses. And he says, plead with God in in your prayers. Plead that he would not lead you into temptation, but he would deliver you from the hand of evil. Matthew chapter 4, go home and read it. Christ is being tempted. You just wonder in that moment, how about my name, about my kingdom, about my will, about my daily bread, about my forgiveness. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Something's grabbing your heart this morning. Something is. Something's, something's got a hold of you. You're, you're, you're at the, the fork in the road. You're on the path. You're wanting to lead your or walk down the path of righteousness, but you're struggling with your name, your will, your kingdom. And Christ said, your life that's been saved by me is not about you. Your life that's been saved by me is about God, the Holy One, the perfect one who loves you, who forgives you, who calls you sons and daughters. And because of that, because of that, you pray to him, you live your life for Him. You give everything that you are to Him so that He may be honored and glorified. Six things you've got to live your life or pray, your, use your prayer life for. And I hope that you see, I hope that you see, like I'm begging Christ to help me see, it is not about me. Who cares about my name? Ah, oh, that doesn't fit well in our me culture. That's right. I'm not a part of this kingdom, and neither should you be. You cannot save yourself. Only Christ can save you. So because of that, we live for him and for him alone. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for giving us giving us a way to be back in right relationship with you. God, thank you for simply giving us a how to pray. Thank you for, through your Holy Spirit, helping us to center our thoughts and our heart and our soul around what is most important. God, I think I'm naive enough to believe that If we could use the model prayer not to just win a baseball game or football game, or if we could use the model prayer not just for our own good, we could use the model prayer for, for its actual intentions, for you and for your glory.
God, I'm naive enough to believe that you may receive glory because of it. And that lives may be changed. That you would get the honor for that and the fame for that. That people who are broken because of sin might be redeemed because your people who belong to you decide they want to be about you in your glory. They want to enjoy you for forever. They don't want to be about themselves or their own will, their own kingdom. Instead, that your people decide to live obediently to you and for you and your kingdom. So God, as we are weak and you know our weaknesses, God, help us to approach you for who you truly are. And then God, remind us of who we are not so that you may receive honor. God, motivate us to follow you. Motivate us to become dependent upon you and not ourselves. Help us to respond to you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Comes a time of invitation, just really invite you to respond to God's